Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, we had an absolute smackdown of the whiny boys and girls, also known as the ECU Pirates. And we have the media landscape declaring us once again, hashtag hottest college in America. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan. Indeed it is, Hummer. The Bearcats demonstrate their dominance again this week with a 55-17 destruction of East Carolina. Really to no one's surprise. You know, I saw a few people online worrying about this game given the two schools' history of close games on the football field. But frankly, it wasn't close. East Carolina was outclassed. Fortunately, the Bearcats are on the field proving themselves again in front of anybody who cares to watch. This team's for real. This team wants to be considered a legitimate playoff contender. College football establishment be damned. But Hummer, you're silent on me. And I think so. I think that's because you're nervous. And I know what you're nervous about. We need to talk about before we get any further, what, 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 what am I nervous about? <laughs> before, before we get any further into talking about the game itself, uh, what we saw on the field, how we think the national media is treating us, we need to talk about the string of text messages you sent me early in this football game. And, and full, full disclosure, I did warn you I was going to bring this up. I didn't want to just release text messages into the public without your permission. But I stand the, by my words. You stand, you stand by your absurd words, which is, I don't know if that's, if that's, excuse me, sir, makes this worse. Um, regardless, I'm going to read a series of text messages before you respond. Let me get through them all. And then we're going to talk about this position you took at least early in this game. No guarantee because there's, you have to also think these text messages are within the context of my own brain. <laughs> They're also in the context of you putting them in my phone and in front of my face. So Hummer says Ritter's lack of an arm is honestly what keeps us out of the playoff. Okay. Put it this way. If Ritter could throw down field, he would be a Heisman candidate and they would love to see that in the playoff. Hence why BYU is getting more love. I think Ritter is holding this team back. So many open receivers downfield missed every time. How are you going to start your apology? I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to stand behind that comment because what, what I'm actually saying is, look, Ritter's play on the field is good. He's, he does certain things very, very well. But there are certain things that keeps him out of the conversation, of the, of the Heisman conversation. And when it comes to the playoffs – we know that the committee or the, the powers that be are looking for the narrative of why to put a team into the playoffs. And when it comes to Cincinnati, Ritter is not holding us back from winning. He's not holding us back from results on the field. Ritter is just not, frankly, he's not in the conversation for a Heisman that's lacking that, that narrative that they want to put the Bearcats into the playoffs because they want to see a Heisman candidate playing in those games. They want to see a Zach Wilson. That's why BYU is currently 
in that conversation. They shouldn't be their play on the field is nowhere near as good as ours. In my opinion, our defense is stifling. Our offense is starting to run all over the people quite literally run all over people. But at the end of the day, if we wanted to see if we have one more season with Desmond Ritter, and if he takes that next step, I saw a comparison of someone putting out there the stats between a string of games of Lamar Jackson. And then they said they compared to the, the lightest player to do that, which was Desmond Ritter. But the only thing I'm sitting here thinking of is that season that they're referring to Lamar Jackson. He actually hit players downfield. He actually hit open field. He threw for 3,400 yards that season of that college football season. He quite literally had a Heisman season and he went to the NFL where he is currently doing pretty well. We have that opportunity for Ritter, but at the moment where we stand, Ritter's development into the Lamar Jackson type of player isn't there. That is what I mean by it's holding us back. Hover, listen to yourself. Coming into the season, coming into the season, we were not putting the expectation on Desmond Ritter to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. To me, the fact that this is what you're talking about shows you how freaking special Desmond Ritter has been over these last four weeks. He is dominating on the football field. And while your explanation, I actually understand part of it. What you're saying is that our narrative improves tenfold if Desmond Ritter is in the Heisman Trophy. A hundred percent. That's what that's what I'm saying. That's I that's such a weird take though. When when you're texting me these thoughts, what you're saying in your words is that Desmond Ritter is holding us back. That's not at all what's happening. The reason the Bearcats are so dominant right now is, A, defense. We knew the defense would be special coming into the season. It has exceeded our expectations. So much so that maybe our first disappointment of the season is the Bearcats not shutting out ECU, as you declared on Twitter that they needed to do. The second reason that the Bearcats are so dominant and actually in the top seven in the country, you know, we're ranked seventh, but we should be ranked higher, but the reason they're there is Desmond Ritter elevating his game to a level we could not have expected before the season started. So what you're saying, he needs to be in the Heisman consideration. Well, frankly, he doesn't even control that conversation. He has no control over who's talking about him in what way. Secondly, he can't be in the conversation based on how his first three games went. But regardless, his, his play is at a level that is plenty good for the Bearcats. And if he continues playing this way and he is hitting players downfield, maybe in, not a, at, at an elite clip, but certainly enough, especially when you consider everything else he brings to the table, when you consider those facts, he's doing nothing in terms of holding the team back. He's elevating the Bearcats to another level. Yeah, this is where this is where I'm just fundamentally disagreeing in terms of getting into the playoffs. We know that college football, the, the landscape is not fair. We know that the Bearcats are unfairly judged against the other teams in this field. We know that we are competing against Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. We're competing against these elite quarterbacks, and we have the ability. Like we're, we're basically setting it up that next year. I'm saying I'm not. I'm still in this. I'm still invested in this season. Don't get me wrong, but Desmond Ritter's play up until this point is good. It could be great. It could be elite it could be special he takes another step next year and we are looking at at a thing where Desmond Ritter maybe is in the conversation for a Heisman Heisman talk and that's all it needs to be is talk he doesn't need to win he just needs to be in that talk and all of a sudden now it's just it's better for that as you put it the narrative of getting into the playoffs 
it, it, it just gives us a little more air of credibility where you're going 10 and 0, 11 and 0, 12 and 0, one of the top four, five players in the country on your team. It's hard to leave someone out in that situation where right now we're simply the Bearcats who are dominating everybody we're playing, but we have no big names that are standing out to people to say, hey, this is a guy I want to watch play. I think the big name on our team from a national perspective is Luke Fickle. He came from the Ohio State tree. He's got that cachet in the national media. They love the guy. That's why you see people like Desmond Howard speak so highly of the team. Um, Desmond Ritter wasn't that coming into the season because it was completely off the radar in terms of Des Ritter playing at a level that's Heisman worthy. And he's not going to get there this season clearly because of how he started. His last four games have been well, absolutely you, exceptional. Forget, forget the overall I'm – not, I'm not talking about the work of volume. I get those three games, and we can harp on those three games as bad as they were at the beginning of the season. If he gets to a level where he's playing like a Heisman contender. He is. Not that he, he is. I the don't think he weeks, is. In, in what capacity? Because I'm looking at his stats, Hummer. I'm looking at it. He, this last game, he went 24 of 31, 327 yards. He threw for three touchdowns. He ran eight times for 75 yards and added another touchdown. The game before that, he threw for 160 yards, 162 yards to be exact. He threw one touchdown, one interception, which came on a, a end of the first half, kind of throw into the end zone. He ran 12 times for 103 yards, rushed for three touchdowns. The game before that, let's start with, uh, he went 21 of 26, 271 yards, three touch, one pick. Ran 10 times, 40 yards, and another two touchdowns. And then obviously the game that really got him going, SMU, 126 yards passing, 179 yards rushing with three touchdowns. Dominating performances. Whether or not that's quote-unquote Heisman worthy is beside the point. The production of the offense, the quality of our offense is exceeding our wildest expectations coming into the season. When you think about where we were last season, squeaking out victories against East Carolina and against some of the mediocre teams in the American Athletic, that's not the case this season. And it's because our defense is doing the same thing from a shutdown perspective at an even higher level. And our offense has taken it to an entirely new gear. That's all Des Ritter. So to say he is the reason that we're not being considered, that's absolutely false. The reason we're not being considered is merely because we're a group of five team in the American Athletic Conference and there's a bias against those teams because they want the four prestigious programs in the playoff. That's how college football is set up. That's how they want it to be. And the only way to frankly change that, and I hate to be this cynical, is to see the playoff expanded to that eight-team setup. You're not wrong about the seeing the teams being expanded to the 18 playoff. I mean, BYU is still facing this uphill battle of getting into the playoffs, even with, with the body of work they've done, having someone in that Heisman conversation. It's just, it's, it's that era of this is going to elevate us more. So I guess, yes, where I'm, where you're kind of freaking out, but there is a point in that game and especially that first half where, or maybe the first quarter, when we see like it, we started off slow out the gate where we're sitting here wondering why isn't Desmond Ritter running the ball more? where we're taking those shots downfield early. He's missing the open receivers. We have these prime opportunities to basically blow out the score, which we, I mean, technically we did. We did blow out the score in the first half. We had a, a very nice exchange of touchdowns late in the second half that helped us kind of expand that score to make it look bigger into that, you know, the 35 point, the 35 points. But what, what I'm saying is there's these opportunities that I see every game where we do throw the ball downfield, the guy, our receivers are, are open 
not just open, some cases wide open, wide open. And Desmond Ritter is getting all the time in the world behind our offensive line. Our offensive line is doing a fantastic job this year. I don't think it can be understated. He was sacked 21 times last season to this point. What are we seven games in eight, get seven games in seven games he's in. been sacked six times, six all season. Our offensive line is crushing it. That's a great and, point. It, it's a great point. The offensive line has been leaps and bounds better than it was last year. Uh, Hudson certainly has to play a role in that, but there's also a youth movement there on the line too, of guys subbing in and, and doing a great job. Sorry. It was 20. I think it was sacked 28 times last year. It was the year before it was 21. Either way, fantastic job. He has all the time. That next step to elite, like I said, he's good. That next step to elite is hitting more of those open receivers downfield when they're wide open because we have two of them, the fastest guys, some of the fastest receivers in college football and Trey Tucker and Michael Young Jr. These guys are open. They're open downfield. I I just want to see him hit them more. I think we do that. And all of a sudden, because I know we had the East Carolina, they were crying. You know, they're, they're crying like little babies when they, when we fake punt on them. We'll get into that. Yeah, we're definitely getting into that. They should have had even more reason to cry because we, we should have been up more. <laughs> this just should have been a game where we, we put 70 on the board. And I'm I was, getting greedy here. There were some opportunities left on the board early in the game. We had the red zone fumble on the exchange. Uh, yeah, that was. Oaks and Ritter. Yeah. I mean, that's just unfortunate where you are leaving seven points on the board, to be frank. Um, here's, here's And that's actually where Ritter, that's where Ritter excels, though. With those, those I know, usually handoffs. in the red zone, it's a guaranteed seven. He's been exceptional lately based on his ability to run. I mean, he's dominating in the red zone on his feet. Here's the thing about Ritter, and I think that we're kind of guilty of this as a fan base, and I think we saw that based on how the fan base overall reacted after three games and even discussing benching him, which, again, on this podcast, <laughs> we never wanted Desmond Ritter benched. Um, yeah, never said that, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for that now. No, no, nobody, and nobody <laughs> should be, and nobody will because it, it's ludicrous. It, it's obviously ludicrous, and the coaching staff knew that. That's why he's clearly been the starter uh, since training camp. Here's the thing about Ritter, and – there used to be a writer. He doesn't write anymore, but Bill Simmons, who, who has hosts and owns a famous podcast network, wrote an article back in the day about Russell yeah, Westbrook. I don't think he owns it anymore. True. He <laughs> sold it to Spotify. Um, regardless, he wrote a great article back in the day about Russell Westbrook. And the idea of the article was a player who brings so much good to the table, but his, let's say he brings 90% of what he brings to the table is really positive, exceptional. The 10% he leaves on the table is so glaring and so loud that it sometimes overshadows the 90% of what he does well. And I think that that's what you're guilty of right now with respect to Des Ritter. And I think it's what other folks are guilty of as well. Anytime he misses a downfield throw, and let's face it, if he has a weakness, not if, he has a weakness, it is his ability to throw the football accurately downfield. That is his weakness as a player. He is not a perfect football player. But for us to continue bashing that and and fretting over it and worrying about his downfield accuracy when, frankly, it's been better in the last four games than it was at the start of the season, we're missing the point of Des Ritter. He does everything else exceptionally well. He is not turnover prone. He He has gotten that under control after the rough start the first three games of the season. He is incredible at running the football and keeping plays alive. Anytime he can't find a man open downfield, he can tuck it and run. And he does that as well as just about anybody in the country. He's very accurate and and very good at decision-making on the short and mid-tier throws, the intermediate throws. 
So what we're doing, and then I haven't even talked about the intangibles of the leadership that he brings to the team, which you hear the coaches rave about, right? I'm not gonna rave about that as someone outside of the huddle, but when you hear Luke Fickle and the coaching staff and other players rave about what Des Ritter brings to the field as a leader, well, we're, we're doing him and our community a disservice when we focus on the down, downfield accuracy. It's not perfect. It's certainly not his forte, but it's certainly good enough to carry the Bearcats as far as they could possibly go this undefeated season. Ooh, you finally said it. I mean, you finally sure. said you've no, you finally said undefeated season. That's what we're expecting, right? Like you're, you're are, calling it out, you're guaranteeing it. You're putting a Coomer stamp on it. There's no Coomer stamp. I'm, I'm careful <laughs> to never jinx any of my teams, but I'm just saying, Hummer, don't, don't be guilty of the 90, 10 law. Don't be guilty of letting that 10% weakness blind you to the 90% amazing play. Cause Des has been absolutely unreal. This I year. love I love the analysis, or I love the the callback to to the Bill Simmons Russell Westbrook. Uh, I love that. I love how you're talking about the 90-10 there. I think what we're looking at as a fan base though is that we're so heavily scrutinized. We're, in my opinion, more scrutinized than say a right now a Notre Dame or a Clemson or an Alabama. I say any team that's above us in any of these any of these ratings because any slight mistake we do or any team we don't beat by enough knocks us out, knocks us out of the conversation. For like we, if, if this game was close, we're done. We're not even being talked about in the playoffs. If this game was even within two touchdowns, we're not being talked about. It, it's and so that's where I think we're getting hung up on that 10% is because it's perceived that that is our weakness in some of these better schools. If we were playing against this elite competition, they're going to be able to exploit that more so than say an ECU, a Houston you know, the, these schools that we're playing that just don't have the defensive or the, the guys up front to, to give our guys an actual challenge. I think that's where we're saying, all right, well, we have these opportunities, but we're not hitting them against the bad teams. That's, that's that kind of glaring hole in the game right now. That could be the difference between a big win and an ugly loss potentially. And in that kind of situation where we're playing, you know what the beauty is we're going to get to see this no matter what, because we're either going to be, in a playoff, or we're going to be in probably the Peach Bowl, Chick Fil A Bowl, whatever, whatever the heck the Bulls are sponsored by on the New Year's Six Bowls. We're going to be playing a team like Florida. We're going to be playing, you know, we're going to be playing a big name school. We're going to get to see this play out. I want it to go in our favor. I want all of this. I just want to see a smackdown. Or honestly, I want to see us get the opportunity to maybe get our our butt spanked in a playoff game. <laughs> that goes so, to the old the old question of. Would you rather not make the playoff, make the New Year's Six Bowl, uh, and, and win that game? Let's say you win the game against Georgia, who doesn't make the playoff. and that, Or would you rather make the playoff and just get your ass handed to you by, by Clemson or Alabama or a team of that nature? Hummer, I'm here to tell you and tell everybody listening, spank me. I'm here to get spanked. Spank <laughs> oh, me. I'll, sp- I'll spank you. I want the spanking. <laughs> fully agree you know what give me the opportunity give me the chance put me in coach you know it, it's better to be in the game than watching on the sidelines saying what could have been and you know i do want to see us there but it's i think i think that's why we're so heavily scrutinizing the 10 percent as a fan base is because we are also under a microscope when it comes to the performance of the cats on field but oh, that being said the performance point. has been good that's a great point so you're putting it eloquently and you're and saying des is getting unfairly targeted in, in terms of performance, right? We're, we are expecting and, and, and wanting perfection out of Des Ritter and perfection is not attainable there. He is not a perfect college football player. 
but he is exceeding our expectations by a lot. So let's not take the unfair media narrative around, around our team. The national media is completely unfair to the Bearcats. We don't get the due that we, are, we deserve based on our play. We are not getting the props for beating very solid teams like SMU, Memphis, and eventually Tulsa. Like We should get the due that other teams get for, for beating middling Big Ten and Big 12 teams. I mean, these, these are not impressive programs, right? Beating Nebraska is nothing. Beating Jim Harbaugh's Michigan team, okay, pat on the back. Have a nice day. Just because the national media is not being fair to us doesn't mean we need to take that out on Des and say, hey, Des, we need you to be even better. You need to be at the level of the best quarterbacks in the country, and if not, you're the one who's holding us back from making the playoff because that's a completely unfair expectation. Uh, I don't know why I don't know this. Did SMU lose this weekend? They did. They had a, they had mm. a commanding, I think, 24-7 lead on Tulsa, and in the second half uh, got outscored 21 nothing. Well, you know, while that's definitely not good for the for the cats in terms of uh, you know teams that we have beaten, let's look at the bright side. You still have Tulsa, you have SMU. SMU is now hanging right outside the top twenty-five in in the AP poll. The Bearcats have two teams in the conference that are within striking distance, including UCF, within striking distance of either one is already in the top 25 being close to the top 25. Our schedule doesn't, I think get, I think our, our schedule gets unfairly measured as being not challenging. Um, I definitely think there's some good schools in here that are capable of any Saturday coming out there and, and knocking off. I'm going to say this Marshall, <laughs> uh, but Iowa state Oklahoma's, you know, Georgia's at this point, there's a lot of teams in the conference. that can go out there and do that. And I don't think we get the recognition we deserve from the national media in that respect. And that's a shame. Um, we're definitely, in my opinion, biased opinion, may it be one of the better of the group of five conferences um, that, you know, there should, I think there should be a little bit of level of respect that, that we can at least harbor. Well, what BYU is doing is the norm for a group of five teams. Like the best group of five teams historically have been teams that are very flashy offensively. They have the stud quarterback and the offensive system that, that scores a lot of points, puts up these sexy numbers, and you, you have doubts about whether their talent and their defense can hold up against a top-tier Division One team. The Bearcats are breaking that mold. We don't fit the mold of the flashy, sexy offense – we're a team that is dominating teams defensively. We have elite athletes on the defensive side of the ball. We have cornerbacks who are grading out as some of the best cornerbacks in the country. We have my Jay Sanders, who's grading out as one of the defensive ends in the country. And that, and then that would take me also to Elijah Ponder, who's one of the best defensive tackles in the country. And we saw in this game, after a string of injuries, I thought this might be worth bringing up. We've had Arquan Bush miss a game. We had James Wiggins go out after the first series against Houston. And frankly, you never saw our defense waiver in those cases. They held up. They continued dominating. You never saw any sort of weakness. When Elijah Ponder left the game against ECU, I'm not going to say the defense crumbled, but there was this a, a few series strung together in the first half where we were giving up big chunks of yards, both on the ground and with some passes. And I thought it was interesting, and I thought it might have been telling that Elijah Ponder – is a critically important player to this defense. What happens from an injury standpoint, how long he's out should be, should be noted because it's notable that 
that they appeared to be more compromised with him out of the game. And he may be more important than most people realize. Yeah. I mean, let's put it, I think Carolina did a decent, I don't want to say a great job. I don't even want to use the word decent, but they had a couple of rushers against us who put up some pretty big, pretty good numbers, you know, averaging one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they're, they're, I don't know if he was their number one. He didn't get the most carries, but you know, they were averaging about seven yards a carry for, for a back. Uh, 4.2 as a team, which is good, good for us holding them. But, you know, I think it's Keaton Mitchell. That's what I'm thinking of 17 carries, 124 yards, 7.3 on his average for per carry. That's, that's a lot of per carries to give up to a single back on the volume that he had, you know, and I wonder if you're right, if that could, a lot of that could be contributed to, to that. Um, is he a bigger piece of this defense that than you realize, but at the end of the day, the only thing the defense really did blemish wise uh, you know, they gave up the late touchdown in the first half, which we immediately came back and just wowed, wowed America with our ability to score with under a minute and 30 seconds left. Um, and then we, we broke our streak of uh, scoreless second halves. We gave up a touchdown in garbage time. Uh, you know what? I guess ECU was just angry because they got fake punted on while they were down 35 <laughs> So we, we need to get the to time that. to address I, it. Can we address we, we that? We need to address it. And I'm going to set it up by saying this. We're going to play a clip for everybody of Pat McAfee the day after our game, talking about his feelings of what happened in the Bearcats game and specifically the head coach of East Carolina, Mike Houston. Here's the thing, Hummer. We had a 35, 10 lead at halftime. You know what? I'm jumping the gun. Let's let's go ahead and play the clip of Pat McAfee talking about Houston the day after the Bearcats 55-17 victory. And I don't want to get too off topic, but we are a college football show at Augusta, so I think I can do that. Uh, what I've learned in the last 24 hours is that I will never, ever, ever bet on the East Carolina Pirates because their coach is the softest ever. coach I've ever seen in my entire life. Luke Fickle <laughs> should have asked him to do an Oklahoma night. drill right on the field and buried him. That's what I think he should have done. Anyways, <laughs> that, let's you get to Oklahoma. Means, the you know what that, means? <laughs> that means you had ECU last night. That's what that means. No, no, no. What it means is they're getting mad at him for running that fake punt up 32. Hey, Luke Fickle's got a college football playoff spot to go get. If he needs to put a fake punt on film to slow down a rush going forward so his punter can have more time, he's going to do it. Okay, Mike Houston? Stop him. Stop him. All right, anyways, let's get to the pick, shall we? First thing to talk about, Hummer. McAfee hits the nail on the head when he says Houston is the quote softest coach he's ever seen in his life. I think I got that quote, right? Houston, not only is he complaining about a fake punt at the end of the game, which I'm going to let you explain that and get into that. You were down 35 to 10 at halftime and your quarterback threw a total of 20 passes the entire game. You ran the ball 50 times what are you doing it was like a, a lesson in let's see how quickly i can get this game over with get the hell out of dodge and never have to worry about facing luke fickle marcus freeman and that ferocious defense again it was honestly that in itself was soft as hell and that's before we even get to the fake punt do you do you blame him i mean if i'm houston i definitely want to get off the field as fast as i can 
because in the world where Houston grew up, they give blue, silver, gold ribbons to anybody who doesn't finish first place. Uh, you know, he he's he's of this mind. He seems to be of this mindset that the Bearcats aren't out there trying to accomplish something that is bigger than just winning the conference. At this point, the Bearcats are trying to make a statement and the statement isn't just, Oh, we're beating you by 32. It's, Oh, Hey, we need to stomp you in order to get noticed. This is a Friday night game. Let's be real. This when they call it prime time. It's just, it's just a guys it's, it's a veil. It's not real. You know, Friday night games, it's not like everybody in the country is tuning in on Friday night to say, hey, Bearcats, number seven in the nation, are playing East Carolina. It's not happening. What a fake punt does, though, is it gets the conversation started again, talking about the Bearcats playing on Friday night and beating the crap out of Houston. It makes us – it puts our headline up there. It makes the conference committee or the, the playoff committee tune in to see the highlights of our game because they want to see the fake punt happening when we were utterly and totally demolishing. You know what, East Carolina, if you in Matt Pat says this perfectly, if you have an issue with it, beat us. Come and Stop beat it. us. Stop, Stop the it. play. Stop, Stop the, the play. play. It wasn't even called by the coaches. We found out later, our, you know, our player audible to that fake punt. It's something that Justin Williams and Chad Brendel <clears throat> revealed that it's something that the team has been working on for years and they never had a chance to run it. Um, let me look up the player and make sure I'm giving him credit for this. Cause it was, it was a sick audible, uh, awesome run. He was, he's a senior. He's, he's graduating. It's, it's a big deal for him. Joel DeBlanco, Joel, yeah. <laughs> Joel DeBlanco audible into the fake. It succeeded. Sorry about your luck. And like you were saying, don't hate the player, hate the game. College football demands that the best teams crush their opponents because of how the committee looks at these these uh results at the end of the season so if you don't want to have to to face these types of types of decisions frankly get a better team recruit better coach better uh do better do better mike yeah. houston it's like it, it'd be like in college basketball if you you know when you get these cupcakes rolling in the fifth or arena and you all of a sudden hear them start complaining that we beat them 110 to 50 sorry man margin of victory counts when it comes to this uh nat score so let me ask you this though, because Pat McAfee said what he wanted to see was was Luke Fickle <laughs> call out and do the Oklahoma drill with Mike Houston right there in the middle of the field. So I ask you, can you think of any coach in America that would want to throw down the Oklahoma drill with Luke Fickle in the middle of the field? Only one. Marcus Freeman. <laughs> We have the only two coaches that you would ever dream that you would never dream of, of messing with uh, when it comes to the Oklahoma drill. I think we should pose that on Twitter. I'm sure there's some other beast ass coaches out there in the college football there landscape has that to can be. handle it. But, but look, I like, well, our you know, Ryan, odds. you know, Ryan day isn't doing it. <laughs> you know, Brian Kelly isn't doing it. Brian you know Kelly. Get out of I mean, he had to leave the game. He's so scared of the Oklahoma drill. <laughs> Dabo, Dabo Swinney. I always say Dabo's name wrong, but none of them. So if that's how we're getting the playoff, it's through the coaching coaches doing <laughs> Oklahoma drills. I like our odds. Beautiful. Um, or anything else you want to mention about the football team, uh, how they're being talked about or, or where we're heading before we, we uh, switch gears here? Yeah, the last thing I'd say, look, as much as we are hitting on that 10%, like you pointed out, I'm having fun this season. It's fun to watch the Bearcats. I had a blast all of a sudden recalling that we are not playing, in fact, on Saturday, that we're playing on Friday, tuning into the game, 
watching it, enjoying it. it. It's it's a very fun time. It's a great time to seriously be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan because we get to enjoy this. There is no t- intimate, in, yeah, imminent talk of Luke Fickle abandoning us. You know, there, there's none of that talk. You, you, you get the sense of that we have some stability in the program, that we know where things are going. And frankly, as good as this year is, we're setting up because this season's not over. This season's going to be great. We're going undefeated. Whole, wholeheartedly, we're going to win our New Year's Six Bowl. We're going undefeated. Next year is also setting up to be a fantastic year as well. Like this isn't this isn't just like a one year and we're done. And this next year, oh no, this is Luke Fickle building something here. He's building something special. The buzz is special. You got to think the fans haven't been able to be in the stands for this season. And it's unfortunate, right? The players deserve these loud, raucous, nippert stadium crowds. Um, and I'm sure they would look, the crowds would come out for this team because because of the way they play, because of the way they dominate. This is a team that's so easy to get behind. But when you consider the pent up energy that this fan base is going to have next season, Nippert is going to be absolutely bananas. Come it's going to be terrifying, season. a terrifying place to play. It is going to be terrifying. It's going to be quarter, opposing quarterbacks have nightmares when they leave fifth, fifth, uh, fifth third arena <laughs> Nippert stadium. Final note, Desmond Ritter is currently the 11th ranked quarterback in QBR in the nation. Number one is Justin Fields. Number two is Mac Jones. Number three, Trask, Kyle Trask. Uh, you've got a few other quarterbacks mixed in there. Number eight, Zach Wilson. Number nine, Trevor Lawrence. And then down at 11, Des Ritter. So when you're talking about wanting Desmond to play like one of the best quarterbacks in the country, my friend, he's already doing it. Hummer, let's switch gears and start talking some basketball. Last week, we dove into the returning players for the Bearcats. This week, I want to get into new players to the Bearcats basketball program. You ready for that? I think so. Maybe. I think it's exciting. Look, on this podcast, we've talked to several recruiting experts over the past 12 months and learned a lot about the guys who were joining the team. And frankly, there is a lot to be excited about. So I want to start kind of going into this based on expectations for the player. So we're going to kick things off with the, the biggest name, maybe the guy with the most expectations, the guy who's getting the most hype from John Brandon. And John Brandon doesn't give you much hype. He won't tell you much but he is willing to say this is the hardest worker he's ever coached. David DeJulius, transfer point guard from the University of Michigan. I am incredibly excited that we landed David DeJulius. He's actually only a junior point guard, so this is not a, a grad transfer. This is a true transfer who has been given eligibility his first year at the Bearcats, went to Michigan as a four-star four point guard, and basically brings everything to the table. He's small, six foot, but brings defensive intensity, can knock down the three-point shot. Uh, if you look at his percentages, he is a knockdown shooter from the outside, shot 36% from three last season at Michigan, only 41.7 from the field. But when you hear about the guy in terms of what he brings in terms of energy and leadership to practice, lots to be excited about Hummer. I think everybody has him slotted in as our starting point guard to start the season. I mean, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a stretch. I don't think that's going to be any 
there's going to be no controversy there with, with that statement. Uh, you know, he's, he has experience. He's coming from a top notch program it, it himself. Like you mentioned, he is a knockdown shooter looking at the, the Ken Pomeroy uh, statistics <laughs> um, shot 36.1%, as you said, 44, uh, 46% from two point land. You know, I mean, he has the tools. We'll see what it is. I'm excited about seeing him on the court. I'm excited to see how he's going to interact, um, especially because, you know, that that role, you know, I know we, we saw Jaron Cumberland take the rock a lot last year, um, you know, but we saw really Micah Adams-Woods play a lot of that role, uh, a primary ball hander coming up the court. So I'm really interested to see what we can do with having two players that can confidently handle the point guard role on the court at the same time. Uh, you know, in, in this conjunction with all the pieces that we're going to talk about here, uh, but I'm really excited to see see what we have in store with David the Julius. We haven't heard a whole lot out of practice. I, I don't think too much coming out of, except that he's the hardest worker, like you mentioned. So, you know, I, unfortunately, it just sucks. There's not a whole lot to talk about here. <laughs> Basketball has been quiet, and I, I kind of joked about it last week with Justin that when I watch those clips that the basketball team puts out on Twitter, I am diving deep analyzing them like a Sabruder film in, in terms of figuring out who's doing what, what are the vibes like, who's dominating practice. But you can gather, gather some things from his last season at Michigan. Uh, he only got 20 minutes a game. He was basically, you know, the six man came in as kind of a combo guard, didn't always play on the ball, could play off the ball as well. And I think that's an important wrinkle for this team because we know the Bearcats coming into the season have several guys equipped to handle the ball and be a higher usage player. David is one of them, but you also have Keith Williams, who's certainly going to see his usage rate uptick this season. Micah Adams-Woods, we were hoping to see him take a leap. And then that there also, there's also feeding the big men down low in, in terms of uh, Chris Vode, and then the guy we're going to talk about next, Rapalus Ivanowskis. So the fact that David has that flexibility to both play on ball and off ball will be important for the Bearcats. David, you know, the tight handle is something that, in my opinion, the Bearcats are going to a place that we just frankly didn't see under Mick Cronin. I think that what Mick Cronin's teams consistently lacked, in my opinion, was a multifaceted attack from the perimeter. We did not ever have a plethora of players that could break down a defense from the perimeter. You'd have one or two studs, right? You'd have Kilpatrick, you'd have Copain, you'd have Jaron Cumberland but you never necessarily had a multifaceted attack on the perimeter with guys who you were confident could break down the defense and either finish the, at the rim themselves or create for their teammate. And in this season, you've got DeJulius, Micah, Keith, Zach Harvey. I mean, this is a team that has no shortage of talented wings and guards that should be able to break down the defense. So I think that's an important wrinkle. David, is, David DeJulius is certainly bringing that to the table and when I looked at his season last, last year on Ken Palm, the player he was getting compared to that jumped out to me was Demetric Trice, uh, who was a four-year player at Wisconsin, just wrapped up his career last season. And his stats don't necessarily jump off the page, but if you remember Trice, very, very solid across the board point guard, about 10 points a game, four boards, four assists. To Julius is the real deal, and, and we're in for a nice, pleasant surprise in, in landing him. That was a huge get for John Brandon. Let's move it on, Hummer. We'll move on to the next transfer, not a freshman. This is a grad transfer, so he's only going to have one year with the Bearcats, Rapalus Ivanowskis. What jumps off Ivanowskis. the page Yes, <laughs> Ivanowskis. What jumps off the page for you for Rap? 
what jumps off the page for me, and I'm going to let you uh, divulge more information when we say that, that his Ken Pomeroy comparison is Kyle Kuzma. <laughs> when I saw that, it shocked me. You know, Kyle Kuzma, everyone knows him now as the Lakers supporting guy who frankly is an overhyped player because he plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, he's not necessarily an NBA all-star, but in college, his senior, his junior season, sorry, Kyle, Kyle Kuzma was a really good college player. 30 minutes a game, shot 50% from the field, could also stretch it out to three, shot up low 30s, 32% that season. Uh, dropped, you know, he's like a 16, nine and two guy. And and that's that's an interesting comp for Rapalus because I think what it shows you is he's not really a banger down low. He's not a guy who's just going to physically dominate you. That doesn't mean he can't go down low and, and beat you with the footwork. We saw that last season when he came when he came into fifth third with Colgate and smacked us around. Uh, Rapolis is the real deal offensively, and with a skill set that's comparable to Kyle Kuzma, he was also comp to Tyler Hagedorn, uh, who played at South Dakota. South Dakota. That was another guy who could go beat you inside and out. Rapolis is an offensive wizard, and I think it'll. This is the thing we're going to talk about once we get through these new players the way that that John Brandon's going to deploy these different players with different skill sets is going to be fascinating because there's only so many minutes to go around and, and these guys are all very different players, but Rapolis in terms of what he brings offensively is extremely exciting defensively. That's where I could see him more as a liability, not the most fleet of foot, not necessarily an imposing shot blocker. Uh, if you look at some of the advanced metrics on Ken Palm, he's not really an imposing paint presence. His rebounding rate is solid. So we're obviously going to need to see Trey Scott's production in that in that category replaced. Rapolis will play a role there, but I think in terms of what he's going to enhance, what he's going to bring to the table, it's certainly the offensive game. He stretches it out to three, finishes down low. That's the most exciting part of his game to me. Well, one of the things when you're talking about his offensive game that kind of sticks out to me from the statistics that we're looking at, you know, he 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 almost it's interesting. He he took a step up in the national rankings last year, but he actually fared worse than than the year before um he had a, sh- a significant drop off in his three-point shooting um granted he he also took 20 more shots but he fell off from 43 percent to roughly 27 percent. he also had a slight dip in the two-point shooting percentage so i'm curious you know what that amounts to and also looking at and this is this is where i think maybe he's going to thrive more having a lot more talent surrounding him uh, and being able to maybe take more pressure off of him because you know, he was a stud, a star of Colgate, uh, where here he's not, he's not going to be, he's not going to be Keith Williams. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to be the stud. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see if, if that's going to help him when he's going to get more open shots, he's going to have less contested shots. So um, I'm really hoping to see those, those numbers uh, get back to what he was doing his, his sophomore year uh, with Colgate. He's still going to be a, he's going to be a, a threat. And that's, that's the key. He's going to be a threat. He's going to be a major piece of this offense. He's going to be a guy that can be down low, be a threat to score, but at the same time, be a big man who's out, but on behind the arc and still be a threat. You're, you're not going to be able to say, Oh, Rapolis has the ball. You don't need to guard him. You're going to have to put a body on him at all times. He's not going to be one of those players that you know, you're going to leave he out there. And that's going to be huge. That's huge, especially for people like Keith Williams, right? Keith Williams needs that open lane. Rapolis can provide that for him. Even if the percentage regressed, he should be respected as a shooter from the outside. I think that was a great point by you. 
I'm looking at some of the Kempom metrics just to refresh my memory here. So he actually had a defensive rebounding percentage of 22.4, which was good for 125th in the country. That's no slouch. So if he is a good defensive rebounder, that in itself will be valuable. Even if he is a little bit of a liability in terms of one-on-one defense or, or being a shot blocking presence, he's 6'10", probably about 230. Who knows what happens when he gets in the UC weight room. Um, if he could be a really solid defensive rebounder paired with that skill set offensively, that should be enough for the Bearcats. So if you, just because he is, you know, that finesse offensive player, I don't, he's not necessarily a slouch in terms of pulling down boards. And that's, that's good news for the Bearcats. Yeah, especially when, you know, uh, when we're starting to talk about lineups and, and where we expect to see him play. I mean, we expect to see him as a starter. We expect to see him on the court, uh, the very first group of personnel on the court and with who we're expecting him to be paired with, it's going to be imperative that he has a little bit of that finesse, but also has that rebounding skill because that's something that Chris Vote has historically with the Bearcats in his one season with us lacked uh, was his ability to get massive amounts of rebounds for his size and presence down low. Uh, and we all know that Chris Vote when open three feet within anywhere within three feet of the basket is scoring the ball. We all know that he's knocking it down, but not having him double teamed because you have another pig man out front out, out behind the arc or, or mid range, you can knock down a shot. It, it's going to open up more opportunities for Chris vote. And so really interesting to see how this pairing is going to work out, how, how that's going to work from a chemistry perspective on the court. Uh, it's just another intriguing aspect of what's going to be a very fun season. Last thing I'll say about him is that when you look at usage rate, Jaron Cumberland obviously hijacked the Bearcats usage rate the past three seasons. I was a fan of it. He was the best option with the ball in his hands. And for a team that didn't have that many creators, it made a lot of sense to give it to your best creator who could create open shots for other players. Rapolis is coming from a, a situation at Colgate where he had one of the highest usage, usage rates in his conference. You know, last season alone, he was at uh, 27.4 uh, sorry, 27.5 overall, you know, a quarter of his team's possessions he's using. He's coming to a situation with the Bearcats where that's going to naturally decline, I imagine, because of the talent that's around him. With more talent comes less responsibility. How does he make that work? And can he still be effective? I predict yes. Yeah, Next- I mean, no, no doubt his, his usage is going to – I would be shocked, very shocked if, if, if anybody on this team's – usage is honestly a quarter of the possessions that we have everybody i think is going to get their their time to shine on this team there's just too much talent to go around it's going to be democratic that's what john brandon wants i think this is kind of his dream scenario and that's why he's talked about it he doesn't hate this team and he's kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek but he probably really likes the construction because of how many options there are how hungry these guys are so let's talk about the the five incoming freshmen this season there's not going to be as much to talk about Hummer and I actually released a kind of aggregate podcast that summarized the skill sets of Tari Eason, Mike Saunders Jr., Gabe, and Mason Madsen last season. We didn't get to touch on Victor Locken. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit here. But if you want a, a de- in, in-depth rundown of each of those players, I highly recommend going back into the history and checking out a recruiting podcast about those players. So to kick us off, Tari Eason, he's the highest-ranked player coming into UC this season the biggest get of john brandon's short two-year stint with the bearcats so far uh a 6'8 lanky rangy you know played big man in high school but frankly the skill set is so vast 
that you see player comps ranging from guys like Pascal Siakam to uh, to players like even Tracy McGrady. I think when we spoke to uh, to the ex- expert from Washington, uh, Nars Martinez. I remember correctly. You went nuts when you heard that comparison. You you like you you've audibly fond over that that comparison i mean it, it stunned me like i jonathan isaac pascal that all makes a little bit more sense because they're not the most finesse or skilled offensive players and when you look at tari's clips you know he's obviously just a defensive wrecking ball the way he's the way he can move on the perimeter the way he can contest shots he's he can be one of the best defenders on the bearcats whether he can do it freshman year tbd but this is this is clearly a guy who can develop into an all-conference, all-country performer on the defensive side of the ball. When Nars Martinez mentioned T Mac, that that scared me a little bit. I, I don't I don't want to be hurt. And T Mac is one of the most skilled, just devastating offensive players in the history of basketball. So I would say it's a little bit unfair. I don't expect that by any means, but it captures how talented Tari is coming into the season. Let me ask you a question about Tari Eason. I know we're, we're, we're starting to kind of form formulate in our minds, what the starting lineup's going to be. And I think our consensus is Williams, the Julius Rappelis vote in woods. I'll let you, yeah, I'll let yeah. you expand. I'll let you go on when we get to a, well, he's not on this list. We've already talked about both of them, but we'll, we'll let you talk about the woods Harvey battle uh, here in a minute. But my question for you is then, do you see Tari coming in as one of those, those rotation guys, when we're bringing in three guys, four guys at a time, when we're brewing like a, a fresh rotation, do you see Tari Eason having a major role like that with the Bearcats this season? Well, I think the talent's unquestionable. Um, we're deeper in the front court than we were last season. I envision Tari as sort of that small modern four where he's, yes, he's quote unquote in the front court, but his skill set offensively, he could be on the perimeter. He could beat his man off the dribble, but he can defend, you know, uh, larger, larger players defensively, but he can also switch out really well too. So when I look at the talent and kind of the expectations coming into the season, there's no doubt in my mind that I would expect Tari Eason to be a, a highly used role player for the Bearcats in terms of maybe a comp in Bearcats history, in terms of how he'll be used his freshman season. My comp is Jason McSeal. Jason McSeal came in ranked around the same spot as Tari Eason, kind of the same size. Jason McSeal is probably a little shorter, six, seven, not necessarily, not certainly not as skilled as Tari is already right. Jason never really had the ball handling ability, never a perimeter player, but instantly able to come in based on his, his athleticism and his work ethic, he was able to instantly come in and be a major contributor off the bench for the Bearcats. And that's kind of what I envisioned for Tari, just kind of a, a, a defensive wrecking crew comes in, switches, long rangy tips, balls, deflections, you know, Mick Cronin's favorite word. Um, I have no doubt that that Tari is hashtag buzzword. <laughs> No, I'm excited. Tari, Tari is a player that's got me very excited. And I know that college basketball, it feels very up in the air. If there's one reason I want to see the season happen, it's, it's this freshman class and these new players and new faces. And Tari is one of the major reasons for that. Hey, you know, not to bring up the, uh, you know, the, that, that word. So we're just, we're going to skip over. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear it. Squirrel. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely think you're right. He's going to be a role player. He's going to come off the bench. He's going to get significant minutes. In uh, part of the rotation, one of the rotations I've put together in terms of like a sub in sub out type of scenario, 
I actually see him coming in to maybe relieve rap of some, of some minutes to give rap a break to kind of take up that kind of role. Uh, not necessarily playing the five. I think that's where, where Mamadou is going to come in and, and give Chris vote some, some fresh time. Uh, Mamadou gonna... sees himself. Mamadou thinks he's competing with Micah Adams, Woods and Zach Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I well, kid, you I know, kid. I, 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 you know, you kid, but we know that's true because we had him on the podcast. And when we <laughs> said, said, he you said as much. Most... yeah, he said, uh, I think I could be as good as Michael Jordan. I think uh, he started with Michael Jordan and then he settled for Kevin Durant. So good on you, Mamadou. If that's what happens, then we're winning the goddamn national championship. Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not hating on him, uh, but just being realistic. I think that some of the, you know, the rotations that we might see when we're seeing guys subbing in and who there's who, what roles they're going to play. Um, uh, Tari, I'm ex- this. That's what's so fun is we still got four more freshmen. Three of these freshmen after Tari are also very intriguing for the roles that they're going to play because all of them should or could be a, a, a contributor, a, a factor into what this team is able to accomplish. We're going to need contributions from. And sm- not, some of them small, you know, we're not talking about, we're not saying national players. We're not, we're not throwing any of these huge stuff out there, but some of these players we're, we're expecting to come on the court, maybe have a slightly less impact than Micah Adams Woods did last year. Just having an impact. I, this is the ideal team for freshmen to come, come into because it's, it's twofold. Freshmen want to play, right? They want to be able to go mm-hmm. into practice and earn playing time. This is a team where you can do that, right? Micah, Micah Adams Woods, Zach Harvey. These are guys who we have high expectations for. But in terms of can you beat them out for minutes, the answer is yes. If you come in and lock it down defensively and prove yourself, there's no doubt in my mind that John Brandon's going to give you minutes. Whether they'll do it, you know, I think that Micah Adams-Woods is a staple. I think that John Brandon trusts him. I think he proved himself last year that he's a steady hand, that you can trust him defensively. And I think that John Brandon values that. So let's get into the next player, Mike Saunders Jr., another highly touted freshman uh, coming in from uh, Wasich prep academy out in utah but best hair on the team best best, hair you're so obsessed with the hair uh sorry madsen twins gabe Gabe. (laughs) sorry (laughs) mike got you on the hair best hair on the team originally (laughs) i hope coach cope hope coach lets him dye it red (laughs) originally from indianapolis uh look mike saunders jr is probably the fastest freshman in the country you watch him end to end he's ridiculous with the ball can fly up and down the court. Uh, he's a guy that John Brandon has this long-term relationship with, right? Dating back to, I think, seventh grade, where he was recruiting him uh, to come play at NKU. And, and sure enough, now they're, they're joining forces here at UC. He just strikes me as the epitome of, you know, leader slash hard worker slash I'm going to find a way to be successful. He already looks like he's put on 15 pounds of muscle if you look at him in these videos. No doubt in my mind he's working his ass off for the Bearcats. I suspect he's going to find some spot minutes as one of these backup point guards. I just think it's ideal for Mike Saunders Jr. He's coming in in a situation where we don't need that much out of him. We don't need the world out of Mike Saunders Jr. to be a really good team, but he's going to be able to find his spot to where he could play you know, a solid 10 minutes a game and make a huge impact on the, on the game itself. You know... <laughs> This is just this is just weird logic. I know you said 15 pounds, but if I'm going off 24/7 sports, they listed him as six foot 165. If I go to ESPN, they have him six foot 190. 
Ooh, 25 pounds of muscle. All right. I, I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Look, I, you get, you get athletes like this in a division one program and they work hard. Like we've seen what happens in the transformation at the Bearcats program. We saw Jacob Evans go from kind of a, a soft pudgy, you know, a uh, talented senior out of Louisiana to just turn into a first round draft pick monster. So if you work hard, apply yourself, there's no doubt that you're going to see the benefits um, in terms of where Mike, here's where I think Mike Saunders jr. Is going to thrive, get the ball, push the tempo, get the ball down court. He's going to drive a pace, right? He's going to control the pace of the game really well. Can he control the ball from a turnover standpoint? Can he not turn the ball over? That's usually what will get a freshman point guard off the court is if you have turnover problems. The other thing we've heard about most is that he needed to develop and improve his jump shot. There is reason to believe in his senior season that that's happening. We saw him knocking down shots from the perimeter, his ability to, he played a lot of off ball. Another great thing, just like to Julius, his, his team was loaded. This prep Academy is loaded with division one talent. He was forced to play off ball at times. So he has experience in those catch and shoot roles where I think he's going to be with the Bearcats. Cause again, Mike Saunders, David DeJulius, Keith Williams, the fact he can play off ball is a huge benefit for the Bearcats. Any other comments on uh, Mr. Saunders? No, once again, it's, it's, it's hard to, like you mentioned, there's so, we know who the starting five is. We have kind of a supporting cast, but the depth on this team is so great. And we have so little to go off of. We haven't had any exhibition exhibition games. We haven't had any cupcakes that we normally would have had beaten down by now. We don't know how John Brandon plans to utilize these players. And so until we actually see some game, it's going to be really hard to say, where does Mike Saunders fit? Because we, we know he's skilled. We know he's talented. It, it's where, where is he is, is he going to be played in the role, you know, alongside of Micah Adams woods, is he going to be playing that, that tempo type of thing when he comes in off the bench, you know, what, what's John brand's level of comfort with giving him the rock and saying, take this up the court. You know, what that's where, once again, it's just exciting. I, I can't explain it any other way that I really want to see some games. We know some people who are close to practices with the Bearcats and got some feedback about how, you know, who's standing out, who's doing well. We mentioned last week that Harvey was bringing the intensity prior to official practices starting so much so that he and he and Keith got in that skirmish. Mike Saunders is another guy that was getting rave reviews. Uh, you're not going to hear it so much in public, but the, he's, he's ready. You know, he's competing, he's defending, he's bought in and, and that serves well for getting minutes your freshman season. The next two freshmen we should talk about, and I hate always grouping them together, but let's face it, when you're twins, it happens. Gabe Madsen and Mason Madsen. We'll start with Gabe because Gabe came in as the more highly touted freshman, uh, higher it's in the because ranking. Because it's alphabetical, be real. <laughs> hey, yeah, alphabetical too. Uh, we're kind of just going in order of the rankings and, and, and playing it that way. But that's no, look, when we talk about Mason, I've got plenty of good things to say because I think he's going to make me eat the biggest serving of crow in my life. Gabe Madsen, 6'6", swing guard, just a walking bucket. Anyone you talk to says that if you need a bucket, this man's going to give you one. Can shoot it from three, can drive to the hoop. Good size, right, for playing the two guard. He's obviously got great size. Learning more about his personality, you learn he's a quieter guy. He's a, he's a young man who's, who's not that uh, braggadocious in terms of just being out, being loud and being confident and being um, too vocal. And that's not a bad thing. But I think 
I'm going to overanalyze those videos, Hummer. And what we've heard so far is Gabe hasn't necessarily been up to the task yet from a physicality standpoint. And that could come from the standpoint of Mike Saunders Jr. played in an environment, and this could be said for Tari too. They played in two incredibly competitive high school leagues, Tari in the Seattle leagues, which speak for themselves. We know about the talent out of Seattle basketball, but then at a prep academy, you're, you're playing some of the best teams around the country. In the case of Gabe and Mason, they're coming from a situation where the talent level they were playing game in, game out wasn't necessarily up to the same bar. So in terms of adjusting to Division One play, I expect that to be a bit slower, but I have no doubt that both of these guys are up to the task based on what we've heard and based on what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're just you're taking all the thunder here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're 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 definitely two different players, two different types of players. Uh, you know, like you said, different styles in terms of their personalities. Um, you know, I think one of them's also rocking a very nice hairdo right now. I think Mason keeps it on the shorter, you know, high and tight side. Gabe's Gabe's letting it a little <laughs> be more free flowing. Uh, so I'm here to break down the hairstyles. If you guys haven't been able to tell, <laughs> that's how we're judging the freshmen until we see them on the court. Who has bad. the best hair? Uh, <laughs> well, here, you know, I, I mean, look, they're, they're, it's a great haul because they, they are not the same player. It would be boring if you brought in two twins who were the exact same player. They they're both not. have, they both have skills that can, that can be played off of one another. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting to watch them play as well. And, and well, see us- once again, Tell us what you know about Mason then. Tell us what you know about Mason Madsen. What I know about Mason Madsen is that John Brandon, when I met John Brandon, he was super excited about Mason. Could not stop gushing about Mason and, and what he's going to be able to bring in terms of, uh, you know, his versatility. You know, they're both, they're kind of bigger too. They're, they're, they're big guys. They're, they're, well, yeah, Gabe, they're, they're on the shorter, they're on the shorter five, side six, in terms six. of basketball, but yeah, five, three, five, 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 six, but at five, oh, three, five, three, <laughs> sorry, six, three. Bleh. Gabe, hang on. Let's make a clear distinction though. Gabe is six, five, six, six. Mason is probably Sin six, is, two, six, three, six, three. Okay. Yeah. Um, so actually he's not really on the bigger side, but you know, his, everyone his, has like, an inch Hummer. Everyone has an inch. Everybody has an inch. Uh, what's his wingspan? Do we have his? Do we have his wingspan? Do we know? Do we... <laughs> we don't know wingspan. No. <laughs> that is the hardest stat I've learned to get in college basketball is wingspan. Nobody wants it taken because if it's a, a bad wingspan, that really hurts you in terms of being evaluated for the next level. Oh yeah, yeah. ESPN's definitely adding an inch here at six four. <laughs> They're also adding another <laughs> uh, fifteen pounds. Um, so maybe maybe he's he's That's a guy what I'm in. Saying, man. I would actually be hard pressed to say he's probably gained 15 pounds. If he came in at 175, he just enrolled in, in August. Uh, these guys are, these guys are all really fresh to campus. Uh, I'll say this summer when these guys committed to come to UC, I was convinced that Gabe was going to transition to this level of basketball much faster and much easier than his brother Mason since arriving at UC And this is not to be a criticism of Gabe at all. I think he's going to be an excellent player for the Bearcats. I don't know that he's going to see a ton of minutes his first year, but that's not a criticism because the team's loaded. I do think just based on what we've heard and what we've seen, Mason is going to surprise people, including myself. He's coming in. You already see it in these practice clips. He's cutting it loose. He's confident, confident in his jumper, 
confident in his game, super aggressive, super physical, raved about defensively. That kind of work ethic and that kind of attitude and that kind of belief is what could get you surprising minutes in your freshman season. So look out for Mason, lots of buzz about him. And he's not the guy who was coming in the most highly touted either. So really, really good stuff from both of those guys so far. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't we hear, we heard a lot about him too, with his, his, for his size being that he is on the, the shorter end of what is considered basketball height uh, prodiginess um, at, at a lofty six, three, uh, he crashed the boards. He, he's not afraid to jump into the lane. He's not afraid to get after it and get the ball and, and, and then put a shot back up. You know, so we've heard a lot about he's, he was the feistier of the two uh, of the two brothers where Gabe is able to rely more on his shot uh, more, 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 you know, this, the skill set that you're naturally bringing. gifted. Yeah. More, more, uh, uh, yeah, more I'm trying not to like, getter. Yeah. I'm trying not, I'm trying to, not like, to crap on him. Look, I, we like both of their games. <laughs> this isn't being harsh. They're there's, just different. And we're talking to them because they're in their skill sets. I'm, you don't need to, we're not being harsh here. We're being a complimentary of both of them. I don't know. I think their exact role seems more undefined going into the season. That's why we need games. So lastly, Hummer, we're going on about 90 minutes of podcasting here. And anybody who's stuck with us so far, we appreciate it. Let's touch on the last freshman for this class. Who we'll I know absolutely nothing about except where he's from. He's the mystery man of the class. <laughs> we'll talk briefly about him. And then we'll start going into lineups and some of the biggest burning questions for the season. The burning questions are big on the Cincy Slang podcast. We'll do those next week. But Victor Locken is our last freshman to talk about straight out of Russia. You think he knows Vladimir? <laughs> just because he's Russian. Everyone's got to know the prime minister, huh? Huh? I just want to know if we, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe does he, do think, does he like to, does he like to play basketball with the shirt off running a horse? <laughs> do you think when a, an American basketball player gets recruited to play in <laughs> Russia, do that you they, know Donald Trump show up and there, there's a, there's a Cincy slang and equivalent in Russia talking about the St. <laughs> Petersburg basketball team. And they say, Hey, do you, do you think Hummer knows Barack Obama? Do you think he knows Donald Trump? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. No, I mean, we kid it's just, it, there's not a whole lot of like, we heard the rumors that they were, that they were signing someone who's, who's big, who was, who was going to be good at going has a skill set that's not uh, it's pretty much unlike something i guess they, they say that we have seen i think this this source had told us the only the only thing is there's just there's not a whole lot out there about him uh in victor and so and we also hear the rumblings or the rumors that he because of the process for getting your visa for getting your ability to come to actually come to the states that process being delayed that this is more likely we're gonna be looking at a red shirt situation which probably more plays into his hand at the moment just because the team is just so stacked right now in terms of personnel and bodies that having another year underneath of him for his height and size to get developed to get leaner it's going to probably do him more more good sitting out a year and being redshirted absolutely if there's anyone who's a prime candidate to be redshirted it's victor Lockin, and it seems obvious He's coming off knee surgery. He, he came over to the States and has already had a procedure on his knee. So I think there's no doubt that he's probably not ready to contribute this season, given that it is such a funky year. Most of these guys may have a free year of eligibility anyway, so it might be a moot point. 
Uh, but Victor is an obvious player that we probably won't see much of the season at all. It's all going to be word of mouth. And then coming into next season, we're going to hear about this amazing 12 month development of Victor Lockin, and he's ready to come in and be the new Rapalus Ivanowskis. Um, what we know so far, based on what we learned in, in terms of talking to Brett Stein and a few others, he is very skilled, very skilled passing big man. He's 6'11", very large. Um, and I think he's the kind of player that I think they expect to kind of mold into Rapalus Ivanowskis, you know, being able to be highly skilled offensively, being a good facilitator from the top of the post, uh, but also being able to knock down a shot and finish at the rim. So interesting player, interesting prospect. Feels like, you know, the biggest project that John Brandon has taken on so far, kind of like a four-year investment to turn this player, this this uh, this young man into a, a next-level player for the Bearcats. I'm hopeful they do. Look, he he's so mysterious, though, Hummer. He's he's on Instagram. His username is B1KTOP, and he's got one post so far. I shared it. I, I My mind was blown when I saw these photos. It's his photo shoot from joining the Bearcats. He's going to wear the number 30. The first photo on that page, it's him in a knee brace, kind of just, you know, casually, lackadaisically standing there in the photo. His right sock has something tucked into it, and it appears to be potentially either a student identification, a credit card, something of the nature. Just wild, wild style. and Just the swag on 100. I don't know what... I don't know what to say anymore to say like he's, he's on fire. (laughs) Tell me about his hair. Well, he's got this kind of, you know, uh, casual scruffy look going pretty good, man. I think you're going to like it. So, uh, oh man, I'm having trouble finding, I'm trying to find him now. (laughs) Oh, the picture is hilarious. You should go, go find it. Uh, I have no idea why the student cards in there. I need someone to get to the bottom of this. So Brendel Williams Jenkins, Someone solve the mystery of why this student ID slash credit card is in Victor Locken's sock in the photo shoot. <laughs> it's there. And not only that, it's like right side up. So you can see the photo and everything. It's not like after. Yeah, that's why you know, though. Um, I, I give his hair game. He needs some work. He definitely needs some work on that. It's, it's definitely more of a bedhead type of look. Uh, hey, can I, can I say something? Hummer? <laughs> we don't, we don't have any right to, critique or judge or you don't offer, offer advice i don't at all <laughs> I <literally> don't. <laughs> on that note hover we'll leave it there buddy let's leave it there bearcats basketball more excited than ever i hope there's a season we keep scheduling games we now have three games xavier tennessee and georgia all three are locked in non-conference games let's sit and wait buddy so we're, so we're gonna play georgia twice this year and we're gonna smack them twice i like it Let's do it. (laughs) Cheers, buddy. We'll leave it there.